Hello and welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books, everybody. The only podcast in human history to feature two brothers talking about a thing they like. Uh, I'm one of the two brothers, and I'm also a co-host, and I'm kind of a comedian. My name is Will Hines. And I'm the other one of all those things and more, and I'm Kevin Hines. Will, can you do that again faster this time? Thanks. Oh, yeah, sure. Okay. Hi. I have, uh, This is the only podcast in all of recording human history to be, feature two brothers talk about a thing they like. That thing is comic books. My name is uh, – or God, I don't know. I wasn't ready. Not fast I, enough. Not fast enough. I wasn't ready. Sorry. Try it again okay. one more time real fast. Okay. Uh, welcome to Screw. We're just going to talk about comics. The only podcast in community history. They feature two brothers talking about a thing they like. I'm one of their brothers, uh, comedian kind of thing, Will Hines. Hmm. Don't know why you're in such a rush. I'm the other one of those things, Kevin Hines. <laughs> it's, it's like the oldest movie kind of <laughs> joke. Um, just felt like you went a little fast the first time, so I, I wanted to steer into it. Like a Margaret Dumont. <laughs> just, oh, yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, no, I got you. All right. So I know um, Margaret. I know Margaret Dumont. Yeah, well, I know our Margaret listeners. Dumont. Our listeners might be lost right now. Hey, get used to it. Uh, there's a bunch of references from two guys in their in their middle age. <laughs> That's doesn't that still means we shouldn't be talking about uh, Margaret Dumont. Screw it. We're just going to talk about Margaret Dumont. <laughs> um, Not the Marx Brothers. No, no, just the sometimes. Uh, voice of reason in their movies. Just a little bit of the foil in some of the movies. Um, Kevin, we're doing Cosmic Rays and Correspondence, which means we're doing some John Byrne Fantastic Four issues and then some mail. Mm -hmm. And we're doing issues 250 and 251. Normally we do three issues, but 250 is a double-sized issue, so we're only doing those two. Right. Does this all sound what you expected? This all checks out, yeah. Okay. Um. So great. Let us. Uh. Let's do it. Um. Well, first we have our unnamed segment, like our screw on mm -hmm. media or related. The person who suggested segment. screw ons, by the way, made another suggestion. Since we didn't, we didn't like screw ons enough. Okay. He suggested loose screws. Yeah, that's pretty good too. It's also better than anything we'd think of. Mm -hmm. It doesn't quite pass the it's clear what it's talking about just all by itself title. Yeah. But it does use our our podcast name. Yes. It it, it works so, better than it should for a name that is a plan, our name of our podcast, not anything about the segments. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, that's a contender, too. Um, screw right. on, loose screws. What do you prefer, screw on or loose screws? I think I like. Hmm. You have to decide now. And you I guess can never loose, change screw, your mind. loose screws is like easier to remember. You know, I think I like that a little better. Me too. Me too. I agree. So that's good. We don't have to fight now. Okay. So for now, it's loose screws until we get a better suggestion. Okay. And in loose screws, since the name doesn't tell us what's happening, it's uh, we talk about basically anything besides comic books that we want to talk about. Yeah. Generally, we try to talk about any superhero media that we've consumed, but if not, uh, we'll talk about anything. We might go astray. Uh, I don't think. Oh, I saw Wakanda Forever. I saw it on. Um, I saw it on an airplane. 
Um, I thought it was good. <laughs> it was definitely hampered by my viewing experience. So it's not totally fair. Like mm-hmm. I had a bad, I had bad headphones. So I couldn't get like, I couldn't hear it that well. And it's like, I think sound design is a really important part of these like big, uh, yeah. you know, things. So I, I missed out on that. I also had subtitles on. So, you know, I don't even, maybe I shouldn't say that I saw Wakanda forever. Did you, was it your headphones? It was the ones the airplane provides for you. Why didn't you use? Uh, it was like it was something they were playing on their little TV screens. Yes, I see. Yeah, I uh, because we traveled this weekend. Will and I we saw each other this weekend, this past weekend. Right. I saw three movies, which is the most movies I've seen uh, in such a short span. I think in a decade. Yeah, I can't remember the last time I saw three movies in three days. What'd you see? I saw Top Gun Maverick, which okay. I thought was good. Okay. I saw Ant-Man Quantum Mania, right. which I enjoyed. I guess the reviews for it are bad, but I, I liked it. I don't know what people are talking about. I thought it was fun. Okay. And then I saw uh, 3,000 Years of Longing that you recommended, and I loved it. Okay. Oh, I'm glad you, I'm glad you liked it. I really loved it, too. Uh, especially like the first two thirds where it's just him telling stories. That yes, part is that, that was really, the best really part. good. Yeah. The ending doesn't quite stick it. Although I didn't mind, the, I didn't mind the ending, but I mean, the ending is probably right for that movie. It just like the first two thirds is so good. Yeah. It'd be hard for anything to, other than him continuing to tell stories. I don't know what I wanted. Did you, do you see what I meant that it kind of reminded me of a Sandman comic? Yeah, I definitely did. Yeah. He felt like a little bit of an endless too. Yeah, he's kind of, and the stories aspect. It was really fun. I mean, yeah, and, and it's remarkable like a, that George Miller did that movie after Mad Max Fury Road. Looking at his list of movies, they're all almost all of them are great. Yeah, he did Babe, the right. two Babe movies, which are great movies. Yeah, he did Happy Feet, which I have not seen, but I hear is great. Okay, yeah, which is an animated penguin movie. He did all, obviously the Mad Max movies, and they're all different levels of good to great. And they're and they're also sometimes quite different, right? Like the first, the Road Warrior, or sorry, Mad Max is very different than Fury Road. Yes, Mad Max is the first one. Second one? I thought Road Warrior was the first one. Uh, I think Road Warrior is actually Mad Max Two. Oh, okay, yeah, I can never remember. Yes. Well, anyway, the the. Uh, then he did stuff like e- Witches of Eastwick. He sort of, you know, he well, did. It's like, like a good movie, right? Oh, yeah. I love Witches. Well, maybe love is a strong word, but it's definitely a really good movie. Yeah. He has very few, like, misses, I feel like. He almost made a Justice League movie. Did you know that? No, no, I didn't. He was, like, in pre-production of a Justice League movie at some point. And I remember at the time when I heard that, I was like, the guy did Mad Max is doing a Justice League movie? That's going to be terrible. But now I'm like, that probably would have been great. Seems like anything he does is at least good. Yeah. Um, well, I'm glad to hear you you like that movie. I like that also we're talking about the least superhero of all the of all the movies we've mentioned, Wakanda Forever and uh, Quantum Mania. Mm-hmm. I guess t- Top Gun. I don't want to talk about Quantum Mania too much because it just came out and I don't want to spoil it for people, basically. But is that man good. in it? Mm, that feels like a spoiler. Okay. Do a bunch of ants swarm together and carry rifles and also a box of shells across a no. section of the city? <laughs> Unfortunately, that does not happen. But ants are in the movie, and it's uh, it's very fun. It's very fun every time Hank Pym says that he likes ants. In fact, 
my one complaint is I wish he said it a little more. <laughs> Every time he mentions liking ants, I'm like, this is like my favorite thing. <laughs> Just Hank Pym going, I like ants. <laughs> and he's like such a good actor. He delivers that line, <laughs> which is a silly line. And it's funny, but it also like, it seems real. It doesn't seem like a joke. Uh, I don't know. Michael Douglas is great. Here's what I will say. I said this to you in person, but I will say about that um, movie, the first two movies, which uh, uh, I don't know what people think of. I always felt like they wasted Michael Douglas in those first two movies. I feel like okay. he's in them just for exposition dumps. And he gets to do a little bit more in this movie. Uh, and it's very satisfying to have a little bit more Michael Douglas. If you're going to have Michael Douglas in your movie, give him more to do. Okay, I'm glad. That's, so that's a little bit of a spoiler. Michael Douglas is in it. Yeah, and he's been in all of them. Um. So, okay, that's a good one. Do we have any other media we need to cover? I don't think so. I'm reading uh, Secret Identity by former podcast guest Alex Segura. I am halfway through. That is on my list. Uh, it's really fun. Uh, I recommend it. It is, I think this is fair to say that it's a young adult novel, meaning that it's kind of, uh, actually, I don't know if it'd be qualified that way, but it, it it's a lot of plot and action. I mean this in a good way. Like, yeah, things happen. Like it's it's a page turner. Um, and I'm and there's lots of it is about a comic book creator, a fictional comic book creator, and there's lots of sort of shout outs to the comic book industry. It's kind of the it's kind of like a a weird shadow version of Alan Moore's what we talk what we say about. Thunderman or whatever. Yeah. Uh, because this is like a sort of happy and warm hearted <laughs> portrayal of the comic book industry. Not that there's not bad guys and not that it. Yeah. That fits Alex best. more. Alex is a pretty positive dude. It'd be, I'd be strange surprised. if it was just a hardcore, like negative view. Yeah. If the whole thing was about this, the comic industry is evil and awful and, and corrupt and ruined. And then like you talk to Alex, he's like, oh, yeah, man, it's great. Everyone. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it would be very surprising. Uh, uh, I'm glad you're reading that. I, I, it's been on my list for a while. I just yeah. uh, haven't gotten to it yet. I guess I'm a better person than you. That's true in some ways. The Alan Moore story is called "What We Can Know About Thunderman." That's how I wanted to get that right. Oh, and uh, "Secret Identity" by uh, Alex Segura was just put on a list from the L.A. Times uh, for one of its best mystery and suspense novels of 2022. It's been on tons of lists. I mean, it's getting a ton of acclaim. Um, it's about a um, you know, it's about a fictional comic book creator and a yes. fictional comic book that is made, and there's pages from this supposed comic book spread throughout the novel. That's really fun. It is very fun. Uh, anyway, so it it I mean I have not read the book, but the synopsis made it seem like a more action packed. Uh, uh Michael Chabon, Cavalier and Clay. Yeah, yeah, I think that it, that's that's fair to say. It definitely reminded. There's it's got things in common with that book. I mean. Sure. The only thing that makes you say that is like they're both set in the past about like classic comic book characters that didn't really exist in a world, but in that world where real things do exist. Y yes. And um, the creators have their own sort of internal dilemma that kind of mirrors yeah, what the characters are going through. Um, yeah, pretty fun. Uh, all right, that's our Loose Screws segment for this episode. <laughs> Classically named Loose Screws, as we've always called it. And um, now we're going to get into our Cosmic Rays portion of the podcast. We're going to go over <laughs> issues 250 and 251. Great. How loud is my, my cat is rubbing up against my microphone right I now. I can't hear it. Yeah. Great. And forget I said anything. Um, just rubbing some good cat energy onto our onto our deal. 
he uh i went away for two days and now he does not believe i'm not going to leave again he, it takes him like a week before he relaxes into believing i'm here <laughs> he's very needy it's nice to be loved though yeah are you rubbing my face in that just saying nobody loves you. <laughs> that, was, that was my point. I'm glad that came through. My cat loves me is my way of saying nobody loves you, Will Hines. Yep, that's what I heard. Mm-hmm. So issue 250. Oh, uh, I should say before we start reading this. Okay. We, we made a mistake last episode. Oh, boy. I made a mistake and you agreed with it. And then we and then you used it in the description. And so that mistake is was uh, used a lot. We called okay. the, 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 uh, the, the character they were fighting in the previous issue. Yeah. We called him Guardian the entire time. Yeah. His name is Gladiator. Whoops. So. But wouldn't you say that he's kind of a guardian and that maybe should be his name? The person who corrected us, which is on Instagram, so I don't have it in front of me, did point that out. He said, Guardian's a better name for him. Um, Because he doesn't like fight in an exhibition type of way. And then I was thinking, isn't Guardian the Alpha Flight character? But I think Gladiator precedes Guardian. So he could have had the name if he really wanted it. Right. Um, who's Vindicator? That's the next, that's who succeeds Guardian in Alpha Flight? Uh, I mean, I'm guessing, I thought the person in Alpha Flight was Guardian. Maybe I'm wrong on that. I, I didn't read Alpha Flight. Uh, I only read it for like 30 issues, which at the time of my comics <laughs> Only like... 30 issues. You only read it for <laughs> almost three years. <laughs> Two and so, a half years. Seemed like not that long. Yeah. Um, I'm going to look up who that character Okay, so I'll correct that in our text description at least, and I'll point Isn't out Vindicator one of the monsters in um, Spawn? Okay, it is Guardian. You're right. Woohoo. Uh, okay, it's originally Weapon Alpha, then called Vindicator, and then called Guardian. It's all the same character. Okay. Is Vindicator uh, also a Spawn character? Um, okay, I don't know, but I'll look that up. If you could keep our podcast going while I while no, I'm, I'm just going to watch you. Uh, yeah, so we're going to talk about issue 250. This is a special 250th issue because it's issue 250. Uh, twice as many pages, twice as many thrills is what the cover promises us. We see the Fantastic Four on the cover in front of sort of broken rocks as Gladiator, not Guardian, swoops down from above. Spider-Man swoops in to attack them. Captain America swoops in to attack them. And four of the X-Men, Nightcrawler, Cyclops, Storm, and Colossus, also known as Wolverine, 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 and Wolverine, now I know swoop what you're in talking to about. attack the Fantastic Four. Uh, it's a fun cover, though. Not all of these people try to attack the Fantastic Four. It makes it seem like they're fighting everybody. They're only fighting some people. Um, uh, but it's a it's a good it's a good uh, a crossover book with all these different characters. It's fun. Is it the sort of issue that someone would see in the stands and pick up? I guess so. If you're a Spider-Man fan, you'd probably pick this up. He's pretty predominant in it. If you're an X-Men fan, I bet you'd get this and maybe be a little disappointed. I don't know how many Gladiator fans were out there, but. Um, okay. Vindicator is a character in Spawn Comics. He's one of the legendary five Flebiac brothers, including Violator, Vandalizer, Vaporizer, Violators, who I was thinking of. Okay. Uh, Vindicator Violator, though. Uh, okay, well, there those those are Spawn characters. Okay, I it read one like issue Spawn of Spawn, and I saw Great. the movie. Uh, I've also I've I've read a few. I've read the Neil Gaiman and Alan Moore issues as well. Alan Moore wrote issues of Spawn. One, hmm. and Neil right Neil Gaiman definitely wrote one. Okay, and then he created a character, and then Todd McFarlane, like. 
didn't pay Neil Gaiman enough for it. Have you not heard this? No. So Neil Gaiman sued Todd McFarlane? No, I, I did not. I'd forgotten if I knew this. Like Todd McFarlane, sort of the creator rights guy, sort of like for whatever, like had like two or three big writers come on one issue in a row. Like so three issues in a row was like different hot writers. I can't remember who the third one was. I think it was Alan Moore, Neil Gaiman, and somebody else. And then uh, Neil Gaiman ended up suing Alan Moore for some sort of, for using the character he created. And I don't remember what that character, uh, uh, what was her name? Frank Miller is the third one. Frank Miller, that makes sense. It's a good good three. Uh, He created a a character that he eventually gave to, sold to Marvel. I forget her name now. Um, And Marvel used her for a little bit and now she's on the shelf somewhere. But he, the, he took the money that he um the money that he got from suing Todd McFarlane, I think, to try to untangle the miracle man rights. Oh wow. Or something like that. I might be mixing that all up, but there's something like that that happened there. Okay, it sounds interesting. Maybe we'll look into it somewhere. Oh no, no. I think he did the Marvel book to get the money so that he could sue, you know, get, it's all confusing. Anyway, there's a story there that I don't know. Okay. Um, all right, back to gladiator not guardian that's right uh i'm pretty sure i said guardian wrong first i i think i, I think, think we I, couldn't remember his name and i remember saying i think it's and i was like oh it's guardian and you went yes um okay. you congratulated me on remembering and you made a Man. big deal about how right i was wow i don't that part i don't remember mm-hmm. so um all right well just assuming that we actually have some credibility to continue this podcast <laughs> after uh, my neil gaiman anecdote <laughs> Um, you know, Neil Gaiman uh, famously wrote the uh, Waterman series for Vertigo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, where people, they get trapped in water and then they have visions and this guy comes and tells them stories. Yeah, yeah, it's great. They made it into a movie. Let's get into this the issue. The Abyss. We're going to be, this is like a 150 page issue. We got it. We got to start. Yeah, but it's all action. We're practically done with it already. <laughs> I mean, uh, I it's am. a splash page with Spider-Man. I love Spider-Man. I love John Burns' <laughs> art too. He draws a good Spider-Man. Yeah, do you like John's drawing of Spider-Man? I do. It's it's cleaner. I like my Spider-Man a little creepy sometimes, a little um, le- less beautiful. And this is a beautiful drawing. But uh, Burn, I think, stages pictures so well that that makes up for his... He sort of... John Byrne is a good between uh, Ramita and Ditko kind of guy. It's got almost... like the beauty of a Ramita drawing, but like yeah. sort of the staging and excitement of a Ditko drawing. I think a lot of these Spideys are homages to Ditko panels. Certainly we have a clear homage to Amazing Fantasy 15 on page four. Yes. Uh, and I think a couple of these others are, they're not swipes. I think they're just kind of like, they're they are very Ditko-y at any rate. So, okay, let's say we open on Spider-Man swinging around the city and he finds a sort of like unconscious Mr. Fantastic, whose rubbery body is draped over like six buildings to yeah, the point where very... when Spidey first sees him, he just thinks it's fabric draped over the side of a building. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, John Burns doing a little Stan Lee with his caption box, apologizing for the Fantastic Four not being in the comic yet, which yep. I think isn't necessary, but it is a very cool visual to start this comic with, with sort of uh, Reed sort of stretched over at least four or five buildings. Yeah, uh, and and Spider-Man not knowing what he is at first because he's stretched so far out, and then only when he finds a hand, <laughs> he's does like, he what? realize what's up. Yeah, 
Um, then he then he goes. He finds the torso and head of a uh, Mister Fantastic, who wakes up and tells Spidey what happened and summarizes how the Gladiator, not Guardian, had attacked <laughs> the FF last issue. And once again, in this flashback, remarks on how when um, Gladiator lifted the Baxter Building, that shouldn't have been physically possible, which is something that was said in la- last issue, and it's it's being reminded to us here in this flashback. Yeah, and again, this is the days and ages where things were not collected very often, so you just had to recap constantly. You had to remind people what happened in the previous issue. You can't count on them having read it, um, and it really helps the monthly reading um, uh, experience, though I think when you read them all on a row, sometimes those recaps can get tedious. Yeah. Uh, so it worked for us that we took a break between these issues, I think. I love it this helped. image of uh, Reed kind of pulling his leg back in. Yeah, like Reed's reassembling his body here as he talks to Spider-Man. Then asks Spidey to take him back to the Baxter building. So Spidey swings him back, and there, that's where the super clear homage to Amazing Fantasy 15 happens. Right. I think it is anyway. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but I think No, that's it's 100%. What do you, <laughs> that is 100% meant to be Amazing Fantasy 15 homage. There's no question about that. All it needs is an after Kirby written in the corner or something. (laughs) Okay, so then we cut to, I'm going to pause every time I think of his name, Gladiator, talking to people who we think are the X-Men, although they're, Kevin, they're not talking like the X-Men. I'll tell you that. Their their voices are very un-X-Men-like. Gladiator doesn't know them that well, so it makes sense that he'd be a little confused. But he just fought the FF and defeated them because he thought they were Skrulls. And now he's like, ah, good, my friends, the X-Men, who immediately attack him. It's just so funny that he attacks the FF so hard and has no suspicions about the X-Men at all. It's very funny. Um, So then the X-Men attack Gladiator. We cut to Johnny Storm, who was knocked unconscious by Gladiator last issue. He sort of rouses himself, remembers that Ben Grimm got flattened by a bus, and he goes to free Ben Grimm from the bottom of the bus using his fire power, which he has to control, Kevin, because there's gasoline everywhere. Mm-hmm. I like this little sequence with Johnny. Um, like He's like, oh, I need to get back in the fight, but I got to save my my partner first. I think that's all really cool. He can't tell there's a heartbeat, so he doesn't even know if Ben's alive. Yeah, he kind of does. He like he tries to heat him up uh, because he doesn't know what else to do to try to help him recover, and it works. There's kind and of a, on this page. There's a match cut. We see a you know an unconscious Ben laid on his back with Johnny warming him, and then we cut to the invisible woman or girl at this point, right? Yep, she's knocked still out on um, the floor of the Baxter Building with Franklin waking her up. It's kind of a parallel drawing to the torch looming over Ben. Yeah, but I mean she, again like. Burn just draws a very easy to read, easy to follow comic and and transitions like that, I think, are part of it. Like he puts some thought into it. He lays these books out masterfully. He also has a good sense of when to keep the panel simple and when to make it busy. You know, like when to fill it up with sort of like um, decorative stuff that informs the atmosphere and when to keep it clean. Um, Like as Sue wakes up, Reed and Spidey or Spidey comes swinging in with Reed through a hole in the side of the building. Then the next panel is kind of on a white floor. So it's kind of nicely. There's a lot of white space and we can see Spidey talking to Franklin in the background and Sue being comforted by Reed in the foreground. Just pretty easy to look at. Yeah. And then the bottom two panels just have like sort of uh, blank color backgrounds, sort of like not even what really is the background of those rooms. And the page probably would look way too busy if it had more white circuitry behind them on those two panels as well. Yeah, but then on the next page, when we cut away to Captain America having lunch, a lunch date with one of his side characters that we'll find out if we ever cover 
the 120 issues of Captain America that Chris Gethard wants us to cover. <laughs> um, just 10 years. He just wants to cover just a measly 10 years of Mark Grunewald's run. He's asking so little of us. And then, uh, but in that drawing, it's like a you know pretty filled in drawing of a restaurant, like plenty of background there as like it sets the scene. So we know that Byrne isn't averse to a kind of busy panel when the story needs it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much of it is. Obviously, he's he did some like issues of like, did he do the snowstorm issue? Was that Alpha Flight? Um, can't remember. Uh, or was it She-Hulk? Like he's done pages where like he makes jokes about how he's not drawing anything and it's just dial word dial word balloon yeah, or whatever feel like it's she hulk um but and he definitely did something on she hulk like that um but i thought there was also another one anyway my, my point is like you could look at these pages of like the panels where there's nothing drawn he's like oh he's making up time so that he can draw this double-sized issue that might be true but it also feels like it serves a purpose like i said like this page with the restaurant the first panel has no background. The second panel needs a background because Spider-Man's webbing up a hole. So there's backgrounds when you need it, but not so many backgrounds. The page looks busy. And uh, I think that I feel like even if he's doing it to save time to, so he can draw this entire issue and up to his normal quality, he's picking the panels where he puts the work in really well. It's funny that John Byrne never sort of became a nationally known name the way like Frank Miller and Alan Moore did. Like, in the mid 80s, even if you weren't a comics fan, you could easily have heard of Frank Miller. I mean, he doesn't probably have a Dark Alan Knight Moore. Returns, yeah. Right? Yeah. He doesn't have a Watchman. He doesn't have Dark Knight Returns. Would everyone know Alan Moore if he had not done Watchmen? If he'd done everything else he did? No, probably not. Uh, again, yeah. I don't think Swamp Thing in, in um, Miracle, Miracle Man, Man and even yeah. ABC Comics would be enough. Would we know Frank Miller if he didn't do Dark Knight Returns? Probably because he also did like Born Again and Year One. Yeah, but maybe. Needs, but he needs one of those three. Born Again maybe wouldn't be enough, but maybe Sin City would have done it for Frank Miller. Maybe, but only I feel like Sin City's bigger because he's the guy who did Dark Knight Returns. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. think there's a Sin City movie if he didn't do Dark Knight Returns. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so after Spidey, after Sue and Reed kind of. And Spidey and Franklin are all together. Sue and Reed run off. Reed has to do something. We don't know what yet. They run off. Spidey uh, webs up the hole. Oh, we're back there. Sorry. Spidey webs up the hole in the side of the building to protect Franklin. And then we cut to Captain America. And so Captain America sees the fight between Gladiator and the X-Men, and he gets involved. He suits up, and he gets involved. Takes his shirt off for a little cheesecake. little cheesecake. Yeah, a little, hey, little little muscly shot of Captain America. Never hurt anybody. I guess uh, John Byrne's mistake was he kept doing ongoing books. Like his big creator on thing was Next Men. Right. But he didn't do like one big story. He did like an ongoing book. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I'm going to go back and let him know. Okay. Yeah. Give us to do one graphic He's... to do like a, a, a one creator owned or really epic. I guess he did like the She-Hulk graphic novel, but nothing that really like. I feel like he could have. Yeah. Um, although maybe he, yeah, I don't know. He pro- probably could have, maybe if he'd stayed on X-Men, there would, I mean, days of future past might be the closest thing for him. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I guess what he's good at is playing with the action figures, not creating brand new stuff. Yeah. And um, I'm sorry. I keep interrupting. Captain America chases after this battle. Joins he, the fight. He, so he's into the X-Men versus gladiator fight. And then the X-Men, uh, they're going to attack him, but we don't see that yet. We see them just like messing around with Gladiator. 
and then Spidey gets involved first. Yeah, Spidey and- is saves Nightcrawler from Gladiator. And Nightcrawler, I don't understand the um, X-Men's plan here. Attack Spider-Man. Yes. Um, Spider-Man is helping him. Don't they want to defeat Gladiator? They want to defeat – they seem to want to just attack everybody, almost mm-hmm. as if they're a warlike, warlike alien race in disguise. I guess, but if – my, I get, even knowing they're Skrulls, spoiler alert, why would they attack Spider-Man? Doesn't make any sense. But we an interesting thing here is we hear that um, Spidey can't understand them at all. They are speaking an alien language out loud. Like the speech balloons are are, are written in English, but yeah. they are speaking in scroll. That's not been revealed yet. But Spidey's like, I can't even understand this. Yeah, there's no like uh, this is being translated because at this point they haven't told us in the story of their scrolls. I mean, it's pretty obvious they are, but we know but we something's have not been up. told. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then um, Spidey is commenting on how strong Nightcrawler seems, and we'll see a series of comments throughout this battle that the X-Men are way more powerful or powerful in different ways than than the heroes are used to. Um, Captain America saves Spider-Man from being bitten by Nightcrawler. Yes. Um, Then Colossus attacks Captain America. Uh, Cyclops does. We cut back to Ben and Johnny, and they are – Ben's awake. And Ben proves he's ready for a battle by punching a bus way up in the air. Yeah, it's a good way to prove you're healthy. Johnny's like, are you up to it? Sorry, I couldn't hear what you said. And he punches a bus way high. We get a nice little classic action pose of them saying their catchphrases. Clobber in time, flame on. I got to say, I love it. Yeah. We cut to Alicia in her studio with all of her superhero statues, hearing on the news that there's a fight and she's worried. Yeah, I don't love that. I don't love her being worried about Ben. She should. Ben can handle himself and she knows it. Um, Nonetheless, Kevin, that's what but I do love this era of comics where we're like, they're going to check in on all our supporting cast pretty often. Yeah. Like it's three panels to check on Alicia. This does not play into this story at all. But. It does help pace these stories out, just like a quick cutaway, like, you know, a Spider-Man comic cutting away to J. Jonah Jameson and the Bugle for a page Yeah, might not impact the story, but it reminds you who the characters of this book are. Right. So we do a little check-in on Alicia. Then we cut to Reed and Sue. Reed is building some very Reed-like gizmo that he says will help defeat Gladiator. We don't know how yet. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say- when to we, the fight. Well, yeah. When we do find out, I think it's kind of a dumb plan. But um, back to the fight. <laughs> Uh, ben Grimm is now throwing Colossus around. Uh, Captain America is surmising that they are the X-Men, but they're not in control of their own minds. Yeah. So they're it's starting a, to work out what's going on. It's a real free-for-all because, like, we got Captain America and Spider-Man at the Fantastic Four. We got the X-Men and we got Gladiator. We've got three teams, but they're all fighting each other. There's no – none of the three teams are working together. Um. Then we – there's a little shot of Nightcrawler running away from Spider-Man, ducking behind a car, and then emerging in the shape of the angel. That's right. So and that's Spider-Man a big jumps... giveaway give to us, the readers, that there's some shape changing going on. Yeah, Spider-Man jumps behind the car to see where Nightcrawler went, and he's gone. Then we see the X-Men, that angel request from Storm, something called a Rady Blaster, which now indicates, oh, they don't even have powers. They're using kind of gizmos to do their powers. Right. So now Storm and Angel both have the power of, you know, radiation or whatever to zap Gladiator with um, to get him from two sides. Um, and Human Torch is confused. He goes to talk to Angel and goes, hey, what's going on, man? Yeah, and Angel kicks him in the gut. 
Yeah. Uh, Human Torch can't understand him because he's speaking Skrull. Reed and Sue are flying in the old bathtub fantastic car to join the action. Yep. Uh, then we get to Colossus chucking rocks at the thing. The thing gets hit by Cyclops and comments that um, Cyclops' power is hot, and it's not his his beams are not lasers; they're force beams, so that shouldn't be hot. But this one was right. I kind of loved like that little superhero logic of like deducing clues within the strange mm-hmm. universe of a superhero thing. Yeah, uh, Angel flings a metal pointed shard at Torch, who flies out of the way, and then oops. The shard impales Cyclops, who then falls to the ground and assumes his true form, a scroll. Yep. And uh, a poor use of that scroll to leave his organs where they're supposed to be made him very susceptible to spears. Yep. If he was a good scroll, you would put all his organs in one toe. You'd be a great scroll general. Mm-hmm. All right, Thank guys, you. before you head out, let's get all the organs in the toe. All right. Come on, guys. Um, then Reed grabs Gladiator. And challenges him to a fight. He goes, I know the secret of your powers and you can't hurt me anymore. So Gladiator punches him square in the face and it does nothing. Yeah, and then hits him with a, a a beam of iron, does nothing. Shoots him with a laser beam, it does nothing. And then this is a key moment. He has a moment of doubt, a hesitation, which allows Sue to knock him out with a force field. Yep. And, and Reed explains that he deduced that Gladiator's powers are faith-based, like he has to believe, confidence-based. He has to believe in himself. Right, so that he came up, he built a little hologram machine, or something, he calls it a thought projector, but something that, uh, it, what we thought was Reed fighting Gladiator was really Captain America um, mm-hmm. being covered by like a hologram or somehow made to, Gladiator thinks it's Reed, and I guess Captain America was holding his shield up so that when Gladiator attacked, he'd be protected. Yeah, it's weird that Gladiator punched a shield and did not yeah, realize didn't he was Yeah, didn't know it was a shield, shield. right. Um, like, I get he couldn't see it, but it wouldn't feel different than Reed's chin? It absolutely should feel like it. Also, what if he did, like, an uppercut and, like, punched Captain America in the old crotchola? And what if Captain America wasn't there? Reed didn't know Cap was there. Yeah, this plan is real iffy. Yeah. Dumb, Reed, you're dumb. This is the Reed who invested all their money into the bad stocks and lost it all so they had to make a movie with Submariner. <laughs> Every time he makes a mistake, I have to remind myself, he's not always so smart. So now Gladiator's unconscious. Now we got to finish up with the other scroll. One of the scrolls is dead. we got three scrolls left. Ben is, ta- is tangling with Colossus. Now, everybody knows it's scrolls. Ben hits Colossus. Scroll Colossus up in the air, and as Scroll Colossus is plummeting back towards Ben, Ben makes this comment: "When it comes to scrolls, hey, even Nazis are nicer than you creeps." So, in four issues, Ben has said that Doom doesn't seem so bad, and now he's complimenting Nazis. He Kevin, likes your Nazis. Thoughts? He's coming around to Nazis. Yeah, <laughs> you see that. I mean, it's a slow arc that John Burns building here, where uh, <laughs> where Ben Grimm joins a Nazi group. <laughs> Ben he eventually it. When leave. it happens, you buy it, is I guess my point. It's baby steps. It takes like 150 issues, but that's why when Ben Grimm got elected president of North Korea, you buy it. Mm-hmm. So now Ben punches out Skrull Colossus. Johnny does, does the- a classic flying maneuver, which is taking a right angle because you're a better flyer than other people. Yeah, and that causes Skrull Storm and Skrull Angel to knock themselves out on the side of a building. 
Um, so now all the scrolls are taken care of, one dead, three unconscious. Gladiator has woken up and apolog- he doesn't apologize, but he acknowledges his mistake, takes the three remaining scrolls to go back to his world. Yeah, there's a moment where he explains what happens and reads like, no need to explain, Gladiator. I suspected as much. They've wrecked New York City. Yeah, I think like an apology is in order. It's like, hey, why don't you do a little bit of uh, recon before you just like lay waste to an entire borough? I don't think uh, the the mayor of New York is going to be too happy with the Fantastic Four. Um, yeah. Although I guess probably, you know, the Ghostbusters just recently wrecked New York trying to get rid of the straight pu- stay puff marshmallow man. So that's yeah. probably I mean, this is where damage control comes in. This is the comic that like Dwayne McDuffie read and goes, we need damage control. <laughs> so it ends with a wide shot of the destruction and Ben Grimm saying, who's going to pay to fix all this? Yeah. I say a pretty fun issue. Yeah. A really. Will who hates action even like this issue. So that's high praise. Yep. High praise. <laughs> what, is, what is that from? Uh, that's uh, uh, um, Andy Samberg doing Nicolas Cage. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. And also, I think I told my son. I did it a few times. Oh yeah, that's did right. I tell you that story. And, Your quote uh, unquote son, because I uh, uh, I did it for him for whatever reason. I couldn't stop doing it, and he didn't know what I was doing, but he saw that it was making me laugh. So like later on, he did it, and it <laughs> surprised me so much. Of a six year old go, that's high praise. <laughs> I like laughed so loud. <laughs> he was so pleased with himself for surprising me with that. Um, I don't acknowledge his existence. Moving on to. 251. So, Kevin, this issue, I bet you love a lot because it's a lot of table setting. I mean, I like both these issues. These are great issues. This is like the beginning of a long negative zone arc. Yeah, so the overarching story of 251 is Reed has sort of rebuilt the way you enter the negative zone. And so they eventually do that. But as he's setting it up, we kind of check in on the other characters and some subplots and stuff. That's right. So a lot of table setting. Yep. Um, uh, so we, we start with seeing that the negative zone, instead of a portal now, is like a pit you drop into, which feels arbitrarily different. Feels like a lateral move as far as I'm concerned, but it gives John a chance to draw. I guess it's kind of fun to have a – to walk into a room and see a tunnel going a mile down in a building that's only 35 stories high. I think it's also just fun to do it differently. Like if every time they go to the negative zone, it's the same mechanism. It does get boring. So just yeah. even changing how they enter just looks cool. It's like the entrance when we get to it is fun. It's a fun sequence. So what do we got here? We got uh, after we see that, then there's a tenants meeting because the Fantastic Four now own the Baxter building. So they are the landlords. They have to deal with tenants complaints. <laughs> These people are so angry and so rude, which I get. Tenants get mad at their landlords, but he's also a superhero. They, yeah, they could all be murdered like in a in a, you know, or, and also these guys save their life from Galactus constantly are saving their lives and they're complaining about like a sink with a drip and they're just too angry. I don't know if my landlord was also a superhero, I'd be like, Hey, look, thank you for stopping. I'm nice to my landlord. Even when he's not a superhero. Thanks for stopping gladiator. I know you've been busy. I saw it on the news. Yeah. Someone's got to fix my sink. I wouldn't yeah. be so furious. It'd be even funnier. There is a little brief makeout of Sue and Reed and maybe the implication that they have sex here. They they have a child. No, but I mean, like, it is time perhaps to look away. So they kiss, right? And then the cash. Yeah. Oh, says, that you mean they have sex right here. Like in between panels. It is time perhaps mm-hmm. to look away from the man called Mr. Fantastic and the beautiful invisible girl and rejoin them several minutes later. 
several minutes. So that feels like they must have had sex. They had several minutes. Or it's just like a prolonged makeout session. I'm just saying, well, come on, try to have more than a several minute. Okay. I'm really getting a lot. I'm getting dressed down a lot in this uh, episode. (laughs) We cut to the thing on a pogo um, jet plane. Pogo? No, not a pogo plane. I don't know what these are called. Little... Fantasticycle sort of thing. It's yeah, like a little really mini, cool. a mini flying one. I love all the different vehicles they have. He's yeah. going to visit Alicia, but he gets distracted uh, by uh, Sky Cycle. Jam. It's called the Sky Cycle. Who knows? We can't know what it's called. It's probably called the Guardian I mean, Mobile. In the caption, it says Sky Cycle. There's but no, way, there's no way to know that. Okay, you can't read captions. I actually, you're right. Uh, there's a traffic jam that he helps clear up. That's pretty fun. Human yeah, torch. Like, is enjoying it's got to damage those cars the way he picks it's them up, but I think it's still bad. fun. It's definitely bad. So then we get kind of a really funny, <laughs> I think funny, like subplot where Johnny Storm, who's trying to um court Julie Angel, the actress, yeah. goes to her like Juilliard like acting school or whatever it is. Um, and there he's after Julie Angel. Julie Angel has a crush on a new, not at all suspicious uh acting teacher named Gray Landers. And then there's another woman who's got a crush on Johnny. So there's like kind of a weird love triangle thing going on in these two pages. Yeah. And none of three, them really know pages. what's going on. Johnny thinks Julie's into him. Uh, she's not even looking at him. It's very fun. Uh, it's also just fun to imagine Johnny taking an acting class. Yeah. He's got to be bad at it, right? He's got to be real bad. But who'd be the best actor of the Fantastic Four? Sue? Probably I mean, she Sue. did. She did acting for a little while in the early Kirby uh, Lee issues, but even without knowing that, reads too um, mechanical. The thing, if it was a part written for him, I'd be, I think I bet he you, could be. He could be very natural, but I don't think he could do anything else. He even with even if he wasn't made of rocks, I think he'd have to be Ben Grimm. Like he's got to be his personality. If he was doing voiceover, he can't do anything else but be Ben Grimm. Right, uh, Johnny. I think. Would probably be the second best of the team. <laughs> yeah, probably. It's a low bar. Uh, it's funny to see Julie Angel's acting world. I, as I said before, I think Byrne must have either known and he must have known an actor or something because the specifics are pretty funny. Um, the, the stage is all these props on it, and the door is labeled door. <laughs> as if people wouldn't know. I mean, it's just a plank of wood, but like you could just say this is a door and people would probably get it. You don't need to write the word door on it. I think I better write door. So nobody forgets. Um, so he had a class where someone kept going, where's the door. He's like, oh, next time I'm just painting the word door on it. Um, Gray Landers become, he's, he's, he becomes like a villain or something later in the issues. Right. I don't remember. I think he does. Gray Landers is a super handsome actor who is described as looking like Christopher Reeve, and he is drawn like he looks like Christopher Reeve. Yeah. And uh, so Julie Angel's after Gray Landers. And hmm. who's this girl who's after Johnny? I don't know her name. She's just a friend of... Uh, oh, Sharon, she's the new roommate. She's the Sharon new roommate. Sharon Selleck. Of... Yeah. Uh, interesting. Well, we'll yeah. come back to that another time. And we cut back to the landlord's meeting where Reed is still being yelled at, and Sue checks out. She's like, I'm out. She sneaks up on her kid, invisible. She got her him. several minutes of sex. She's satisfied and she leaves. <laughs> well, I don't know what else was going on there. <laughs> and she goes to check on her son by sneaking up on him invisible. Scares him and she forgets that now that his superpowers are totally buried away, he has no way of knowing when she's in the room, which I guess he used to know. Yeah, but I guess why are you invisible anyway? 
I don't know. This must be kind of fun. I'm not sneaking okay, up Reed, on any kids invisible. Reed wraps up the tenant meeting. Oh, Ben and Alicia are kind of saying goodbye. Sorry. Yeah, because because uh, Ben's going on a trip to the negative zone, and Alicia's going somewhere, right? She's going on a trip. She's packing. Yeah. Oh, she's packing because she's staying at the Baxter building. Yeah, to watch Franklin while they're gone. And then we kind of see the cool little spaceship that Reed has designed, and uh, they descend. Yeah, how would you describe that? I would describe it as kind of an egg beater sort of situation. It's like it's like an egg has folded out into four, folded down into four flaps. Okay. And they nestle into each flap, and then it closes up like an egg again. When it's open, it looks like uh, if you had one of those like apple cut slicers that does all the slices at once. Yeah. Like got the right. core in the middle and the four slices laying out, but then it like folds up. Does yeah, there's like thing. four little coffins that you can lie in and then it folds up and then they're all like in a, like a top or a, like a, I don't know. The what, are those, what are the many FF machines that, if you think about it, seems unnecessarily complicated, but looks cool. Well, we hear it's very comfortable. Then they descend into the negative zone. There's some kind of cool drawings of that transition. There's a fun moment before that where Reed teaches Alicia the noise it makes so she'll know when they're back and it's a loud ka-chung. <laughs> uh, which is very fun. I, For some reason, I enjoyed that moment. But yes, they get into this machine, it clamps them in, and then it like drops through a hole. And it's fun. It's, it's a fun sequence. And then um, Alicia goes on to start babysitting Franklin and she immediately hears the sound that Reed told her about, the ka-chung. And they talked about how time moves differently in the negative zone. So, like, maybe they've been gone for months. Maybe they've been – it's like it's it's feasible that they could be back right away. They just didn't know. But Kevin so goes to investigate. It's not the Fantastic Four. Yeah. It's better. The it's greatest better. hero in the universe. <laughs> Annihilus. Yeah. Uh, one of the many Kirby villains who just looks evil straight every, every bit about him. Yeah. Um, and so Annihilus is uh, in the Baxter building and is – holding alicia up by her neck in classic villain mode yeah so she's gonna die next issue so, uh, yeah. it is it is fun to go into the negative zone as sue mentions that she's never been there which she definitely did not go there during the kirby issues so i like that just like little things like that that's just a nice attention to detail that i feel like yeah. sometimes it doesn't happen in comics now where sue hasn't been here before so she's making a comment about it it's almost impossible to do it now like the continuity has gotten so long and protracted it's like well maybe it did happen and, uh, and now we're entering into like four or five issues of neg- – even though it says a four-issue arc, it looks like it goes longer than that. Um, I looked at covers. Um, but we're into a long negative zone storyline. All right. I hope it's well, better than The Brood. I don't remember it that well. well it can't be better than The Brood. Uh, should we take a break? Yes. All right. We're taking a break. We'll be right back. And we are back. Um. I wonder what mistakes we made in this episode. I'm sure enough. Um, so, Kevin, uh, we're going to get some email uh, read. I don't know why some, I phrased it that way. Some and correspondence. If you wanna, some correspondence of the Cosmic Rays and Correspondence episode. We're in the correspondence section. So if you want to email us, it is screwitcomics at Gmail. Uh, we also have an Instagram account, screwitcomics. Please follow us, repost us in your stories. Or you can DM us there. Uh, and we also have a Twitter account, Screw It Comics. So uh, contact us one or all of those ways. And we might read your message uh, on the episode. Uh, and next week, are we doing more Fantastic Four issues? 
We should do one more, yeah. Okay. Um, so, so just so our listeners know that, we're going to do the next three issues of Fantastic Four uh, next week, 252, 253, 254. Okay. Um, great. We got a bunch of emails. Let's see what we can get through. Here's one from Dean, who's written us a few times. Um, I hope you're well. Uh, many of your episodes are suggesting long runs of Captain America. <laughs> but for something you may legitimately consider, there's a 10-issue run of Captain America by Roger Stern and John Byrne, which is fairly good. Consistent plus Byrne art. Uh, another one could be Captain America or Black Panther by Jack Kirby in the 70s after he's left D.C., or just the Mad Bomb Run, which I've heard about, but I've never read. Mm-hmm. Uh, on that idea, maybe seminal storylines of individual books. Uh, for example, Demon in a Bottle, The Kree Scrawl War, etc. Yeah. Uh, those are all good suggestions. Not long enough. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, it wouldn't take up a full year of our podcast, so. Um, um, I we've Maybe we answered this on the Spider-Man episodes, Kevin, but why is it called the Master Planner Saga? Everyone calls it the Saga. Um, I, I don't know. You know, like we call it that, and I feel like everybody calls it that. And I'm like, how did that happen? I mean, it's not even called that in the comic, right? No, I don't think so. It's not but like feel- part one or part two or part three of anything. But I feel like people do kind of just naturally refer to it that way. I mean, for a, a Ditko storyline, it was a saga, right? There was nothing. There was like sort of kind of two-part. There's some two-part issues and some kind of three-part storylines, but not really – Anything like this where it seemed to just continue and continue and continue for three whole issues. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. I just don't know where that name came from. Me neither. Okay. Um, Dean has some questions. Okay. Now a question for the platonic punny pals. (laughs) Are you two able to separate the art from the artist? Do you find this more difficult for the worst the acts they've committed? I struggle with this a lot. Mainly I try to lose myself in the story and forget about the baggage. Lately, I think about all the other people involved in making the art and don't want to hinder them as they're not involved in the negative aspects and need a job. Uh, Much the same as I try not to criticize bad CGI because uh, of the poor work conditions the workers have. Um, Have a blast doing whatever you do. You're all right in my book. Warm regards, Dean. Yeah, um, it's it's. It's case by case for me. Like it, it depends. One thing that happens if I read the book or whatever, experience the art before knowing anything about the artist, and then find out. I almost it's it's that's the easiest way for me to separate because I had the experience first. Yeah. Um. So a lot of like creators who like had a you know lot of success, and then you find out, whoop, this person was not great. Uh, well, f- for better or for worse, I can always enjoy the stuff I've already experienced, mostly. Um, I do. I often draw a line before and after it comes out, before it becomes public. Um, if it's something that's widely known, like let, let Woody Allen, for example, mm-hmm. um, it's pretty easy for me to still enjoy his old stuff before that was like known. And also, I can sort of justify even spending money on it because, like, sure, Woody Allen gets money if you buy, like, a DVD copy of Annie Hall, right? Mm-hmm. But so does all the other people in that movie, and they didn't know he was awful. Right. So right. not getting it is sort of punishing everybody. But if you buy, like, a DVD of, like, whatever his most recent movie is, those people knew what they were getting into. Right, right. I think about this because, like, Warren Ellis uh, 
got in big trouble for grooming fans. Mm -hmm. And when that happened, he was like, I was reading a Batman series he was working on. That was like 12 issues that ended up not being that great. But uh, I was like, oh, should I stop buying this? Because now I know this guy's like a bad dude. But also like, you know, the artist didn't know that when he started working on this. The editors didn't know. The letters didn't know. The colors didn't know. And like his next project, all those people will know. And they can make that decision for themselves. And and then I can easily not buy it. But I was like, I'm buying this. I'm going to keep buying it. Sort of how I decided. Um, obviously, sometimes that can be easier. Like, I don't know, depending on the thing that the person did, as Dean implies. Right. Like, if it's really bad, maybe it's easier just to stop right away. Um, I do think about it sometimes with sharing stuff with my son. Like, when he gets older. Um, I think here's the one I think about a lot. Uh, sharing Bill Cosby stand up. Right, right, right. Which is like really good and also like family friendly and like a good entryway to, to stand up comedy. Yes. But also like I wouldn't want him to go to school and be like, oh, Bill Cosby is so great. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, where like other things would be easier to handle that with. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't think about that one. Um. So instead, yeah. I'm going to start with uh, Eddie Murphy Raw. <laughs> <laughs> or Richard Pryor's album, Super N-Word. Which yeah, right, right. One of his best-selling albums of the 70s. Uh, I don't know if it was best-selling, but... Um, you bought it just because of the title? Yeah, I was like, this is for me. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, Kids are yeah, teaching kids, that's a whole other factor I hadn't even considered. Um just like me, I don't know. It also depends on how big the work is. Like sometimes just out of curiosity, I want to like just know what I've never watched Birth of the Nation, the Ku Klux the pro Ku Klux Klan movie from like 1919 or whatever, like that, that yeah. DW Griffiths made. Um and I don't think I really want to, but I can imagine if you're a film student, because it was such a big chapter in film history, you might want to watch it just to be, just to know what other creators were being influenced by. Um, and so, I don't know, sometimes it's like, well, this person's bad, but the the work is so impactful that I at least want to educate myself on it. Um, I, I tend to want to, absorb the art i tend to want to separate the art and the artist i'm not always able to do it but i i tend to want to do that um, um that's kind of a cop-out answer but like yeah i mean it's i'm not easier. i'm not i'm not quick to be like i'm not going to read this because so and so is bad it's got to be like pretty severely bad that is subjective uh and and so i don't know more you know more frequently as i'll take this is maybe the worst of all outcomes is I'll take breaks from it. Like I was a huge Woody Allen fan all through the eighties really loved his comedy and his stand up and his movies. Um, and then when it became clear that he was uh, dating Soon Yi, which I think that news broke in 1991, you know, his stepdaughter, essentially, it was like, what's happening. And I mm -hmm. kind of stopped watching his movies for all of the nineties um, I just was like, Ugh, I don't know. And then eventually enough people raved about Bullets Over Broadway that like five or six years after it came out, I watched it out of curiosity. 
And um, then there was another range of accusations that he had molested his children. And I was like, man, this guy knows how to heighten. <laughs> um, um, no, but like, so um, I try to separate it, but sometimes you can't. Sometimes you just can't enjoy the air because all you're doing is thinking about the person. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's tough. It sucks that people are awful. Yeah. So, but I also do think that to some degree, as we're going to find out more and more about people, and so it de- depending on the infraction. I mean, we 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 can't condemn everybody for everything. So it's really case by case basis. Like the guy who does Rick and Morty now is like, right, right, just a bunch Royland. of terrible things. Um, and it's like, oh man, I really loved that show. And it's like now, what does that mean? Uh, and like, he's not going to work on the show in the future. You know, maybe it'll still be good. Dan Harmon is really smart, and I don't think the voice acting matters that much. Um, but also, like, then does that taint the old episodes? It's like I don't know. I don't know the answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, I. It's a dilemma. There's there's any there, there's no one formula that answers it for every case. And even if he's not working on future stuff, he's still profiting from it. He's a creator, so he they can they can't not give him any money for it. That's right. So I don't know. I don't know the answer um, at all. It makes us sad. How's that for an answer? Um, we have an email here from uh, Devon. Devon? Devon. I overpronounced that. It's Devon. <laughs> uh, he's written us before as well. His subject is great power, zero responsibility. All right. Dear Milk Sops, a.k.a. Panty Wastes. Okay. Kevin, thank you for reading my email about Will's persistent lack of acknowledgement about having a nephew. My greatest hope in sending the email was that Will's silly ass would somehow avoid the mistakes that I made in not acknowledging that I, too, was an uncle. (laughs) What a twist. Uh, I avoided the responsibility of being an uncle for fear that I would one day be Uncle Ben and be shot dead (laughs) due to my nephew's (laughs) indifference to box office thieves. I hid myself away from him for years in the hopes that someone else would teach him that with great power comes great responsibility. Preferably his father or mother or the streets, whichever came first. My nephew is nearly 23 years old now, and I finally found the courage to confront my potential killer, (laughs) a.k.a. nephew, and it didn't go well. He doesn't recognize me, much less acknowledge me. (laughs) I show up to his place to play Legos with him at 23 and six foot three. He closes the door and threatens to call the police every time. With every closing door, my failure to acknowledge my nephew hurts like a bullet to the heart. Uh, Signed, Uncle Devin. (laughs) Uh, uh, all said, uh, yeah, and uh, then he tells me it's a joke. I know it's a joke, uh, but that's really funny. Um, good, good bit. Devin is uh, the Spider Man in that story. By trying to avoid being Uncle Ben, he he let the cop run by into the elevator, and the cop was his relationship oh. with his nephew. What a twist! Another twist. Uh, here's an email from Peter, not Parker. Uh, subject: A couple of things. Uh, hey, guys, I'm not sure, but I think it was you guys that recommended Darren Cook's New Frontier. Uh, I bought it a while ago, but just got it in my pile, and I'm halfway through it, and it's great. Would love to hear you cover it. Uh, I don't remember if we recommended that or not. I, 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 maybe I, We went through a phase where we recommended a ton of stuff. Okay, yeah. Uh, uh, I've never heard of it, so I don't know. Oh, uh, Darren Cook's New Frontier, it's sort of his sort of 
Darren Cook, who like did the Parker adaptions and uh, a, uh, a bunch of other great stuff for DC, some Batman stuff. Uh, uh, he helped redesign Catwoman at one point, did Selena's big score, which I think is great. Mm. New Frontier was sort of his big book, which is like sort of okay. a, a look at the, uh, I guess, Silver Age DC. Okay. Uh, it's good. It's good. It's beautiful. I, I, I think it is a good book. And the art is beautiful. So it's it's a better art than story, but I think the package is good. Um, two, also, I was just thinking, what if the Watcher were a roommate of Joey and Chandler on Friends? I think there are a lot of plot lines there. That's a second. That's a very strange question for us. Um, I mean... He's- I love him being the roommate because if he had his own easy chair and all three of them were just kicking back their easy chairs at once and one of them's the watcher, <laughs> that's pretty good. Also with his <laughs> giant head. Um, how are you doing? That's very funny. Yeah, yeah. How are you doing? Uh, I cannot say. I am not allowed to tell you how I am doing. You can only watch, so as can I. Yeah. It'd be like a Joey's like, hey, did you know Chandler and Monica are going out? I know all. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. It can't be. Well, I do have an ultimate nullifier that could undo their relationship, but I don't recommend using it for <laughs> such things. But um, it is there. <laughs> hey, where were you, where were you all day, Watcher? I was watching the Fantastic Four. They were fighting uh, a cosmic entity. That's my job, you know. I got to watch those things. Uh, here's an email from uh, Zeke. Uh, I think Zeke. If I recall, Zeke is our don't read superhero guy. Okay. Uh, uh, greetings, Milk Sops. With Neil Gaiman and Mark Buckingham's long lost Miracle Man Silver Age finally being published by Marvel and Miracle Man being rolled up into the Marvel Universe, it's a good time for you to do a couple podcasts on the tangled history of this comic. See, I read superheroes too, Zeke. Yeah, okay. So that was right. That is Zeke. Um, I mean, I love uh, Miracle Man, but man, is it complicated. And so, so are we the best people to untangle that? We don't get anything right. Yeah, I know. We would get we would make it worse. I saw a comic book exhibition this weekend in Bloomington, Indiana, that had a bunch of golden age covers, and one of them was an original Miracle Man from uh Marvel Man from uh the forties or fifties. Fifties, I oh, think. Oh the Mike Angla the Mick Angla one? Yeah. Um you know, the series that Alan Moore brought back and rebooted, basically. Yeah. So it was interesting to see it. Uh, here's an email and just from... to just to summarize oh. for our listeners, Marvel Man was the British ripoff of Captain Marvel Shazam, which itself was sort of a ripoff of Superman in a way. And the popular British rip-off. Marvel Man. Yes. British Marvel Man in the 60s was popular in Britain when Alan Moore was a young lad. When he was 20 or so in 1980, he rebooted Marvel Man. And did like a post-meta, weird, mind-trippy version of what those powers mean to be a boy who becomes a man and goes into another dimension or something like that. Blew everybody's mind. And then he wrapped up the book in a way that could not be followed. And then Neil Gaiman did more issues. Yeah. Right? And then, right. Uh, and then the rights got tangled up and it stopped publication. You couldn't even get it. But now you can buy those original ones. But not the Neil Gaiman ones. You can buy the Alan Moore ones. But now the Neil Gaiman ones are coming out, and he finished his arc with the artist who did it at the time, right? They're fi- he's finishing it, yes. Okay, yeah. They're coming out now. So, like, they're on issue four of the second arc 
Well, his first arc was the Golden Age? Silver Age. Silver Age? This arc is the Silver Age. His first arc was the Golden Age, I think. Oh. Or maybe he had a different name. He finished right. his first arc. Neil Gaiman did a first arc with Mark Buckingham that ended. Okay. And then he did one issue or two issues of the Silver Age. Oh, okay. I, which have I been thought... re-released with, with new art. Uh, um, like Mark Buckingham redrew the first issues. And now they're on all new issues have started coming out at this point. Okay. I I thought the Silver... I thought it was called the Silver Age because like Alan Moore ends with the Golden Age. Um, you can Google it for sure. This arc is the Silver Age or it's Silver Age book two then or something. He finished yeah. an arc. Okay. Uh, I don't know what the first arc was called, but that wrapped up because that wraps up like the storyline. And then he starts a new storyline, which is about finding young Miracle Man or Kid Miracle Man. I forget which one and bringing him back. Right. Okay. The one who is not evil, the one who sort of died. Yeah. They bring him back and, uh, and like he's being reintroduced to a society that is not, not only way in the future, but it's also nothing like any society ever. Right. Um, if Neil Gaiman does it, it's probably great. Okay. I, mean, I think the, that was a pretty good job of untangling it for us, especially. Yeah. Oh, and it got Did called it, Miracle Man because Marvel got the rights and they didn't like it being called Marvel Man because of Marvel Comics. Before, so, Marvel didn't have the rights. Eclipse so, was putting it out and Marvel, they were either worried Marvel was going to sue them or Marvel said they were going to sue them. So then they, they changed it to Miracle Man and they just kind yes. of re-lettered all the old comics to say Miracle Man instead of Marvel, all the Alan Moore stuff. Yeah. So the Alan Moore comic, say Miracle Man, which is a reboot of Marvel Man, which is a ripoff of Captain Marvel, which was a sort of ripoff of Superman. And Captain Marvel also can't be called Captain Marvel because of Marvel. There you go. Um, they they own the word Marvel. What do we wonder. owe them money just for saying it so much? Can't wait. Uh, got time for more? Yeah. Here's an email from Dan. Uh, updates is a subject. Uh, hey, swellheads. As always, loving the radio program. I don't mind the often chaotic nature because it's often just cool hanging out with you guys for roughly an hour each week. I'm really looking forward to the upcoming read-through of Grunewald's complete Captain America run. <laughs> I'll put the rest of this email in the segments to help you guys. Help is in quotes. Uh, what I'm reading. I grabbed the Immortal Hulk omnibus based on your recommendations, and it's predictably great. I picked up the first volume of Strike Force Moratory for cheap right at the comic shop. This is surprisingly good. I'm a huge fan of Brent Anderson's work on Astro City. It's cool seeing earlier output by him. I hate the design of the aliens, and it was very and it very much reads like an 80s Marvel book, but sometimes that's what you want. Uh here's our he gives us a war games update. Because sometimes our podcast is uh, screw it. We're just going to talk about war games. It's our sub podcast. Yes. Uh, Ed Helms, in parentheses, The Hangover Part 3. Okay. Weird one to pick to credit him. Uh, has also, a new Kev Kevin Hines Level 2. Yeah, we took improv classes together. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he has a newish podcast called Snafu. It's about a real-life war games that almost caused a nuclear exchange between the U.S. and Soviet Union in 1983. The story is fascinating and the show is well-researched, but it's bogged down with jokes that are juvenile and groan-inducing. To make it even worse, it's peppered with funny sound effects that are distractingly terrible. The real gold here is a bonus episode interview with Matthew Broderick and film director, late 70s Marvel inker 
John Badham. The interview is great and offers some insights into the film and its cultural impact. It's a must-listen for any self-respecting warhead. Uh, I listened to this podcast, but I didn't know there was a bonus episode. I So I, now I need to go dig it up. John Badham inked Marvel Comics? Is that a joke? Uh, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> That's got to be a joke. Why did um, I believe it? Why did I believe it? I mean, it, it doesn't seem like a joke. I'm looking on his page. He's not credited with anything like that. I mean, he's uh, the director of War Games and Saturday Night Fever, which is interesting. I mean, his name sounds like an inker's name. Yes, I agree with that. Uh, a question. What would be your dream comic in regards to character and creative team? I'd give my left arm for a ROM Space Knight book in black and white written by Swamp Thing era Alan Moore and drawn by Zot era Scott McCloud. Uh, thanks for the quality content, fellow coward and survivor of the great Insta Push, Dan. <laughs> um, um, that's Danbury Dan, right? Uh, no, different Dan. Okay, so our dream project mishmash of creators and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, how about how about uh, I always liked um, Zantana and Zartara from DC Comics. Some kind of father-daughter magician thing drawn by Bill Sinkevich. Um, inked. <laughs> no, no, you don't need inking. And uh, <laughs> written by written by Jonathan Lethem, the um, sci-fi writer who did a couple issues of Shade the Changing Man and the aughts. That's my, okay, that's my pick. I mean, if we can pick people from eras, I'd love to get one more classic era miller mazzuchelli work oh now i forget my idea i like yours uh let's have him do a question uh oh, graphic yes. novel i feel like that's right in their wheelhouse oh yes and like i feel like it's weird that there's two great books by those guys we need a third Two is such a weird number we need a so third. let's get a four to six issue question story by frank miller and david mazzuchelli uh that was put out right after born again okay I, I want to. I want more question stuff. I like question. It's a great. Really, what I De Denny O'Neill wrote the '80s question series, and that's that's a Frank Miller guy. Yeah. Um, and it, really, I want more Steve Ditko question, but um, that feels like a cheat since we have some of that. Here's some trivia about uh, War Games director John Badham. His sister played Scout in To Kill a Mockingbird, the young the young daughter. Interesting. Okay, keep going. <laughs> uh, we have an email from Gary uh, who discovered us because of our 1963 podcast crossover with Marvel by the Month. Okay, that's already gotten us more listeners than our Screw It Insta Push. <laughs> <laughs> he started listening to us and he enjoyed our John Byrne FF series. Uh, except, uh -oh. I believe in your second FF episode, you mentioned something along the lines of Chris Claremont being the second most important Marvel writer behind Stan Lee. Oh, we, we talked about this already, right? Yeah, that's what he said, this Roy Thomas. talks about Roy Thomas. Yeah, we talked. We did this letter. I mean, yep, it's, yep. A, it, it's a really interesting case and a smart nomination. We we ended up not agreeing with it, but... It oh, is here's why I have this, because he sent us a follow-up. Okay. So I'm reading his old email. Here's his new email, but he, he understandably replied to his other one and Gmail threaded it. I blame Gmail. Uh, Gary says, pleasantly surprised to hear you read my email in the latest episode. Uh which I listened to on my walk. I totally agree that this is a matter of personal taste. Personal taste being we still pick Claremont over Roy Thomas. Yes. 
Uh, I totally agree that this is a matter of personal taste and who you were reading in the formative years of growing up. Those years were the 1960s for me, so Roy Thomas is more important. I once got into a discussion with a coworker who was a couple of decades younger than me uh, about James Bond movies. Her favorite was A View to a Kill, and the best Bond was Roger Moore, with the best villains being Christopher Walken and Grace Jones. Mine was Goldfinger with Connery and Oddjob, so go figure. Uh, and then he goes, one small correction for your Ant-Man Thor episode. DC's The Atom actually came first. I cited this, but I didn't read the email about it. Yeah. His first appearances in Showcase 34 was cover dated October 1961, which means it came out probably in August of that year. Um, and again, uh, uh, Gary has his own uh, feature on his blog called Tales from My Spinner Rack, which you can check out. Google Tales from My Spinner Rack. Uh, my favorite Bond movie is um, From Russia with Love. Oh, interesting choice. The second one. Yeah, I really love it. Yeah. Uh, and then maybe Casino Royale. The original with uh, Woody Allen, no, no. your favorite? <laughs> no, no, the uh, the good one. <laughs> um, from Russia with Love, that's an interesting choice. Uh, it's so good. It's real simple. It's minimally, like, Dr. No is very unbond. Like, the, none of the bond trappings are in there. Okay, was well, it was the first movie. Yeah, there's like no gadgets and fancy cars and stuff like that. And the second movie has a tiny bit of that, but not much. And it, it's sort of like, for me, like the perfect balance of like just a little bit of Bond in my Bond movies. It goes okay. a long way. Goldfinger is too Bondy. Okay. Um, Tales of the Spinner Rack, is it a blog or a YouTube vlog? Oh, uh, he says it's a blog. What's the name of this uh, this character? Gary Sassaman. Okay, cool. That'll help people find it. Great. Uh, let's do one more, two more. What do you think? Uh, five or six more, and then we'll move on. Okay. All right. Here's one from, uh, oh, a Danbury uh, person, Michael. Okay. Uh, hello, Milksops. When I first last emailed you, oh, we've got an email from Mike before. When I last emailed you almost a year ago, I mentioned that I was a fan of your podcast, even though I hadn't read many comics firsthand and didn't expect to read too many more in the future. Boy, has that ever changed. Last fall, I bought a year's subscription to Marvel Unlimited and have since fallen into ab an absolutely insane trap of reading the entire Marvel Universe in order from wow. Fantastic Four 1 until I either give up or lose my mind. I'm currently up to the summer of 1965, and the project has been a blast so far, though for better or for worse, I'm finding it extremely hard to keep from hearing Will's Stan Lee voice in my head every time I come across a narration box. <laughs> Given that this period from 61 to 65 is now somehow in my comic book wheelhouse, I figure your mini season on Marvel First is as good an excuse as ever that I'll, as I'll ever have to write it. Uh, first things first, you stops should know that you were spoiled by growing up with those Spider-Man and FF digests. Kevin mentioned in the episode two that Thor takes some 20 to 30 issues to get good, but I would argue that almost all the series you'll be coming to fresh this season have lengthy periods of growing pains before they find their full potential. And in the case of poor Hank and Janet over in Astonish, I'm not sure their growing and shrinking pains ever go away. <laughs> the two of them, plus Thor and Iron Man, spend their first year or so fighting Marvel's stock lineup of forgettable communists, hypnotists, or guys with some sort of laser beam. Daredevil and the X-Men spend way too much of each issue over-explaining their powers, and as hard as Ditko tries to give the astral plane some visual oomph, 
The fact remains that Doctor Strange spends the bulk of his first 10 stories sitting motionless in his house. <laughs> Among the titles that come about in Marvel's first half decade, I'd say only Sergeant Fury, which you might not even be covering, starts out with anything close to the same level of self-assuredness that Spidey and the FF had. Uh, uh, I First of all, his descriptions make me like these comics more. <laughs> Listing the villains as communist hypnotists or guys with a laser beam. I was like, you got my attention. Uh, he goes on. If you do come away from these premiere issues feeling underwhelmed, I'd suggest a postscript episode to the season where you check in with many, with some of the characters after they fully clicked in a sort of how far we've come scenario. Personally, I'd recommend Tony Stark faking his death in suspense 59 to 63 Thor fighting Absorbing Man and then Loki in Mystery 114 to 116 and Doctor Strange taking on the joint powers of Mordu and Dormammu in Strange Tales 130 to 132. I'm sure such turning point stories exist for DD and the X-Men as well, though I haven't found them yet. If I get to them before your season ends, I'll be sure to let you know. Until then, keep sopping Mike from Danbury. Keep sopping. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I like that idea of going back to check those stories again. Someone also suggested we do uh, like the next batch of characters that get titles at some point. Like the Defenders or something like that? or uh, I think like um, Black Panther. Black Panther. Silver like whatever Surfer. the next handful of characters that get new titles. Okay. I think it'd be fun to do a Marvel Seconds. Um, I think, and it probably also still not too many, which I like. Like it, it's a yeah. manageable number. Yeah, that, that is a good um, idea. Though I don't want to do it anytime too soon. <laughs> okay. Because we just sort of have done a bunch of old stuff. Right. But I like the idea. I also like this idea, though, too, just like revisiting these characters and seeing if when they've gotten better. I mean, yeah. I'd have to blindly accept Michael's uh, uh, suggestion because I don't know where it would be otherwise. Right. I'd also say it's it's funny to me to be going like, oh, I'm never going to read any comics or I'll read all of them. <laughs> Feels like a good way to not like comics to me. Because it gets real bad there for a while. Talk to the Marvel by the month, guys. Does Michael say if um, anybody in Danbury still talks about us? Uh, he says, P.S., uh, you guys are the biggest celebrities to come out of Danbury. <laughs> well, as long as Charles Ives <laughs> still exists, that's not true. But no, uh, Mike says otherwise. Okay. Thank, um, God Meg, thank God Meg Ryan was from Bethel. <laughs> uh, what do you want to do? One more? Zero more? What, what do you think? Well, Let's do one more. Okay. Um, <laughs> we've got a number of emails like this. This is one from uh, Thomas, who's uh, written this a few times. His subject is more talking horse. Uh, silk mops. I'm thrilled you're covering some more mo 60s Marvel material. The zany vibe of these issues always makes for a fun read and an entertaining podcast from America's milksops, i.e. <laughs> you guys. Speaking of the zany vibes of these comics, though, the talking horse story from the first appearance of Ant-Man was absolutely incredible. <laughs> I cracked up hearing you guys talk about it and then looked it up on Marvel Unlimited to read it for myself and died laughing some more. <laughs> I love that it's trying to be a Twilight Zone type short story, but executes it so poorly. And I love that that horse had no ulterior motives. In my opinion, talking horse. I thought horses... I'd be faster. <laughs> In my opinion, Talking Horse is due for an appearance in modern comics. I would gladly pay for comics where the horse goes around and inadvertently causes people to lose huge amounts of money and get in trouble with loan sharks. 
You guys can probably make that happen, right? Keep on sopping. <laughs> sopping really makes me laugh. <laughs> Just the, um, just the activist taking a like a piece of bread and sopping up a bunch of soup or whatever. Uh, it's very funny. Someone else wrote us about that oh, horse too. Uh, we'll get to it at some point. God, the talking horse story is so genius. I mean, it is a good twist. It's like okay, the horse can talk. That is a miracle, but it doesn't mean he knows if he's gonna win. <laughs> it is, and he's wrong. <laughs> it is such a funny thing to do this race. And he gets off. He's like, I thought you said you could win. He's like, well, I thought I could. <laughs> I mean, it's perfect. It is so good. Like, you know, it'd be, you know, it's like, I don't know. We're playing like a pickup game of basketball. I'm like, don't worry, Will, we got this. And then we play, we lose. And you're like, I thought you said we got it. I'm like, oh, I thought it was better than those guys. <laughs> like, that's a very reasonable thing. But the fact that it's and this tr- talking horse who does it, like, this is something talking about, horse like, just gives you confidence that he must know what he's talking like, about. A bush caught on fire and told you, like, Hey, up in the mountain, there's two plates with new commandments. You're like, oh, and you go up there, this nun, you come back. I couldn't find him. He's like, oh, my mistake. <laughs> I thought for sure they'd be up there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just very funny. I thought I'd, I thought I would win. <laughs> I looked at those other horses. I thought it was faster. I love um, how confident that horse is. That horse is great. Well, uh, we're going to do another mailbag episode next time, and then then we'll announce what our next uh, season is going to be, which I think we've decided, right? Yeah, we could announce it now and announce it again or save it for the let's top announce, of an episode. Let's announce it now and then say it. We're going to do uh, issues of Zot. Um, we don't know exactly how many yet, but we're thinking in the neighborhood of four mm-hmm. episodes on Zot Comics by Scott McCloud in the mid-80s. It's a favorite of us. Yeah, also a uh, favorite era of us to cover. It's our favorite era, the mid '80s. It is truly a great comic. I think. I think that I will. Yeah. Even if even if it's not for you, it is a very well made comic. I book. don't know if it's available to people. Unfortunately, I'll have to look and see if it's because I know we have collections of it, but I don't yes. know. Um, it's a really special comic series that you know the indie boom that sort of happened really partly because of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles allowed a lot of really cool indie books to exist and. This was published by Eclipse, and it was color. And then, anyway, we'll talk about it. But like, we're gonna do we're gonna do four issues on four episodes. We or some number right around then on Zot. Yeah, four to twenty. How many <laughs> issues of Zot are there? And should we announce our special guest for this? You could. It's up Let's to you. Do it. So we're gonna have you, our. You're the one who got him, right? You booked him. I haven't booked him yet, actually, but I'm assuming we can get him. Oh, our nice. third brother, Brian Hines, or yes, our other brother. The third Heinz brother, Brian Heinz, mm-hmm. will be on because he loves Zot, and uh, we all read them together as kids, so we're going to talk about them. We'll probably just get his general vibe on comic books in general, too. I hope so. Do you think he'll talk? I, I mean, I, actually, I haven't confirmed his uh, appearance, but I really assume we can right. we can lock it down. Okay, all right. I mean, you, you promised me you could get him. I thought I could win. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, so see you on next week for more John Byrne FF. And then the week after that, we think we'll start our Zot season. Correct. All right. All right. Keep, keep on sopping, everybody. Sop it up. Screw it. Screw it. We're just going to talk about comics. comics.